Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. So, hey, my name is Caleb. If you're new here, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for coming to worship with us today. Uh, man, Chrissy and I are just thrilled with what God's doing at this church and through you. We are actually in the middle of a series, uh, a little mini-series in the book of Mark. If you didn't know, we've been walking through the book of Mark verse by verse for going on three years now. And I love going verse by verse through a book of the Bible. You can't run from any text. You can't run from any topic. And we've come to chapter 13. And we actually turned chapter 13 into a little end times mini-series. So this little mini-series over these four weeks has been end times essentials because essentially Jesus went into a, a teaching with the disciples. It was just him and the disciples. And he taught them and told them about his second coming, about uh, a prediction of the destruction of the temple. And we've been teaching through this over these last few weeks. I'd encourage you to go back because I can't kind of rehash or recap everything that we talked about. But today we come to the end of chapter 13. And just to frame the context of this, uh, Jesus is in his final days. It is Wednesday, and he is going to be going to the cross to be crucified on Friday. So he's two days away from his crucifixion. And he shares this with the disciples, which I would say, when, when Jesus is telling you something in the final hours of his life, it's probably important. Would you agree? And so it's important for us to receive this and to take it to heart. Now, these end times conversations is something that the church has kind of avoided as of late. And so I think it's so important for us as the church to be discussing things that we really haven't discussed in the church. And it's something that we need to be aware of. And so I'm going to read from Mark chapter 13, verse 28 through 37 here in a moment. And uh, before I do that, though, the title of my message today is Stay Woke, Stay Working. Everybody say, Stay Woke, Say, Stay Working. So I want to jump in here. I'm going to read this text. But before I do, I was thinking about uh, just the signs. How many know signage is important? Like anytime you go anywhere, signage matters. You, you need signage so you know where to go. So you know the right direction and, and to make sure you're on the right path. I was actually in Missouri. Um, I went to college in Missouri, grew up here in Sacramento, went to college in Missouri. That's where I met my wife. She loves to claim that she's a Californian, Chrissy, because uh, she, she was born here. But she actually grew up in Illinois. So she's really a Midwest girl at heart, okay? And, uh, and, and so I tell her all the time, no, I'm the true Californian, not you. But I went to college in Missouri, which is where I met my wife. And uh, we would often fly into Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was about a two-hour drive from Springfield, Missouri, where we were going to school. And it was a Saturday, and one of my friends was flying out of Tulsa, and so I was a good friend, and uh, I had a car, and so I said, I'll drive you to the airport, two hours there, two hours back, and I was rocking a 97 Honda Accord, two-door, sunroof, I had rims on it, it was black, I thought I was the man, let me tell you, in college with that whip. Do kids still call it that these days? Um, whip. And so... I dropped my friend off at the airport, 
I'm merging back onto the freeway to make the two-hour drive home. It is like 10 p.m. I'm going to get in at midnight in Springfield, Missouri. And there's a sign. And the sign at the on-ramp says detour. And I, it kind of threw me off because what looked like the on-ramp was safe and, and protected and looked like a normal road, but the detour sign was pointing to a road that looked a little rough a little rocky, a little dirty. But being a good citizen, I was like, I'll follow the signs because somebody put this detour sign up. So I merged onto what I thought was the on-ramp taking me on to the freeway. It, it, it immediately started to feel a little sketchy when I'm hitting little bumps. I'm going about 60 miles an hour at this point when suddenly I hit a giant hole in the road. And I literally hit the hole it launched my car up. I mean, I went fast in the furious nine on them, y'all. Um, and and I, I hit this lump. My car flies straight up. I land, bam, and my whole suspension, like, literally explodes. Both my front tires explode. Um, my wheels are bent out. I, I pull over. I get out. I cannot drive my car. And I had to call a tow truck. I had to call one of my friends in Springfield to drive and get me. We got in at like 2 a.m. My car was totaled. It was rough. But how many of you know, like, signage matters? And I still believe this day someone was messing with me and put a detour sign up, ruined my car, totaled my car. But we have to be aware of the signs, the signs of the times. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Let's read Mark chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 28 through 37. Anybody got a real Bible on them? Hold them up if you got a real Bible, like a physical. Look at it. Look around. These are the real spiritual people in the house, all right? The rest of y'all are fake. No, I'm just kidding. I literally read the Bible on my phone app every single day, so I'm playing with you. Uh, I just felt like saying that. All right, Mark chapter 13, verse 28 through 37. Jesus is speaking with the disciples. They have just finished. Jesus taught in the temple all day on Wednesday. They make the walk across the valley, and they're up on the Mount of Olives looking over to Jerusalem when Jesus tells them at the beginning of chapter 13 that the entire temple is going to be destroyed, that the, there won't be one stone left untorn down. And the disciples ask him and say, like, when is this going to happen? And that's when he launches into this whole teaching in chapter 13. Let's read verse 28 through 37. We've come to the end of Jesus' teaching on the end times. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. The signs. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, some people have read that and said, well, Jesus' prediction wasn't true. Because he said this generation wasn't going to pass away until all these things happen. But we have to recognize the context of Jesus' teaching Jesus is responding to the disciples' one question, which was, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And if you know anything or you've been here the last few weeks, you know we taught you that 40 years after this prediction, it is around 33 AD, in 70 AD, the temple of Jerusalem is destroyed by Titus. Titus, the ruler of Rome at the time, comes in, sieges Jerusalem, starves out the people, destroys the temple. Literally, they say around 500,000 people die 
It is a, a horrible, horrible moment in Jerusalem's history. And they, at that moment, are dispersed all around, really, the region. And so Jesus predicted this, and it actually came to pass. 40 years later, within the generation, which we know in the Old Testament, a generation was considered to be 40 years. So that's how accurate his prediction was going on. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now he's talking about his second coming, Jesus' return. Be on guard, everybody say, be on guard. Keep awake, say keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Everybody say awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, say it, stay awake. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today from your word. Help us to stay awake as your people. Help us to stay awake. Help us to stay working. We have a purpose. May we walk it out. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. How many know if you allow yourself to fall asleep, you'll forget about the real reason you're here. And I think that looking at the church, and I'm not saying this church, but I think the church as a whole, I think that there's a sense that the church has fallen asleep a bit. I think there's a sense in this culture that the church is a little scared just like this culture is scared. That there's a sleeping church, and I believe God is calling for and reminding us, and this text is Jesus reminding us like, don't fall asleep stay awake but not only that it's not just about being awake and having your eyes wide open but it's about working the job that I've given you to work it's about your purpose and so my message today stay woke stay working I'm not referring to the wokeness that this culture is proliferating and pushing I'm referring to a church that is awake to the calls and the purposes and the hope that it carries that this world desperately needs. How many know this whole last year and a half has been a lot? Would you say it's been a lot? It's been a lot. I would say it's been too much. And I think that the knee-jerk response of people is to just check out. Like, we are so desensitized right now. And as a result of, our, of, of the desensitization, is that a word, that has happened to us, I think that many of us have just disengaged. And listen, I'm all about taking care of you, protecting your mental health. We know that this culture and this nation needs that right now. But we cannot disengage from this culture as the body of Christ. We need now more than ever to stay awake and to step in to the spheres and to this world with the hope that it's looking for. You see, you can't work on what you're supposed to be working on if you're sleeping when you're supposed to be awake. And I think that the church 
has fallen asleep because we're desensitized and we're like, I got to just take care of me. This is just all too much. And so we've disengaged and I believe that it's time for the church to wake up and to step in and to work. And I'm not saying this is just the pastor's job or just the leader's job. When I say the church, I'm talking about every part of the body. It doesn't matter if you're a broken, jacked up pinky, y'all. It doesn't matter if you got problems like I got problems. It doesn't matter if you've been through some places, through some things, through some struggles. If you feel like you have nothing to bring, it doesn't matter. You still have a part to play in the body of Christ. And I, I wonder, when I look at the church, why it feels like we're disengaged. But I believe now more than ever, it's because we've, we've fallen asleep. And, and some of it's because of what we've walked through. And some of it is because of the failures that we've had as individuals. But God is saying, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. How many of you know God is a God of those who fail? He's a God that uses even our failures and turns them into something good. Many Christians are sleeping through a season when we need to be more awake than ever. And so I'm giving you, man, this is like your most standard sermon, you guys. I'm giving you right now. I got three points. Stay woke in a generation asleep. First, you got to have your eyes on the times. Everybody say the times. Listen, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. And, uh. Growing up as a child in the 80s and 90s, I grew up in the church. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually a pastor's kid, if you didn't know. And, and I grew up in, in the Christian world. And when I was a kid, there were these movies that came out. And these movies were called A Thief in the Night. And these movies were designed to scare you into heaven. Like to terrify you so much because the rapture was going to happen and, and you'd be walking and then the person next to you would just disappear and the pile of clothes would be there. And, and me and my brother used to like mess with each other and just like lay out our clothes on the, on the ground at times and hide. And I, 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 there were times I'd be running around the house like, is everyone here? Because I thought the rapture happened. There was a book that came out in 1988. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. When that didn't happen, there was a revised version, 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. When that didn't happen, they tried another version. Nobody bought that one. Chrissy talked about this a few weeks back. But man, I think because of the abuse and the manipulation from a few years back, we've avoided this topic. And then we're like, I mean, it might happen, but whatever. You know, Jesus predicted it 2,000 years ago, and it's been 2,000 years. So if it hasn't happened yet, like, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Like, we don't even talk about it because we can't understand everything from Revelation. So why even discuss it? But I think that we've done ourselves a disservice because the times are showing that we're closer and nearer now than ever before. You know, the, the Bible tells us, and Peter wrote this. He said, uh, Jesus will return when every ear has heard. And you know that now with globalization and, and, and technology that we are closer now than ever before to every nation, tribe hearing the name of Jesus. What does Jesus say here? He actually teaches them. He says, in, he says from the fig tree learn its lesson as soon as its branches, verse 28, become tender 
and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. What's he saying? He's saying, watch the signs of the times. There wasn't anything cryptic in Jesus' teaching here. There's people that have tried to like read into this more like, well, I think the olive tree symbolizes the nation of Israel. No. He's literally like, in spring, you start to see the branches bud leaves. And when you see the branches bud leaves, guess what that means? You're only a few months from summer. We look around our world right now, and how many of you know the signs are showing that the tree is budding? That summer is near. That Jesus' return is more imminent than ever before. I tell you this not to try to scare you, but to warn you, just like Jesus warned his disciples. He said, don't fall asleep. I'm coming, the Bible tells us, like a thief in the night. No man knows the day nor the hour. So do not fall asleep. We have to have our eyes on the times. You aren't going to get much preaching like this in many churches, y'all. We are living in a post-Christian, post-modern world, increasingly divided culture, divided politically, divided on so much. It does not take a genius to recognize that we are nearing his return. And yet, here's what I see. A culture of escapism. We try to escape what's happening around us. So how do we escape? We escape with Netflix. We binge watch. We escape with pornography. We escape with Facebook, with Instagram. We escape with, with trips and, and whatever else we can get our hands on. We escape with drugs, alcohol. We are a culture of escapism. Let's just escape our problems, escape what I'm really feeling. And yet, Jesus here, I believe, is calling the church not to be escapists. He's calling the church to be a place where we engage in what's happening. And what's happening is instead of the church engaging in the world's pain, we like to judge the world. We like to just wall ourselves up from the world. We like to keep our distance from the world. And, and I believe that the word of God and what this is calling us to is you have a job. Your job is not to escape. And I think the church for too long just walled itself off, huddled up, said we just got to survive this world and then we get to go to heaven. And God's like, no, that's not your call here. Your call here is to go out and to be a light in the darkness. Your call is to go and engage this culture with the hope that I've given to you and that they're looking for. You see, this world is searching. Why do they escape? Because they're looking for something to fill the void. And how many know, I think all of you have done it at times. You've tried to fill the void in your life with the things of this world. So that's why you buy the new shoes and you feel good for a couple days, a couple weeks. That's why you get the new toy because it feels so good for, for a few fleeting moments. That's why you jump from relationship to relationship because, oh, it, it feels nice for a season. But what we know is that the only thing that can fill the void in us is the person of Jesus Christ. He's the only one, and this world is looking for the answer, and you have it. And yet we have a church asleep. We have a church disengaged. We have a church isolated and separated. And I'm here to tell you, like, you have a job. And your primary job is to point people to the Savior. To point people to the hope that they're looking for. To point people and say, look, 
You've tried everything else. Why not try Jesus? Because I'm telling you, I tried him. And he's the only thing that can satisfy. The things of this world are temporary, fleeting feelings. It feels good for a season and a moment, but it always leaves you feeling empty. But once you taste and see that the Lord is good, I'm here to tell you, you never go needing again. There's nothing fulfilling like his love. I'm going to escape this myself. Chrissy will tell you. If you know anything about, well, we talk about Enneagram. It's like a personality test. And I'm a seven. And my greatest fear is being trapped. And so COVID was literally my greatest fear. I live in a 1,200 square foot house. Um, and, and I have three children and a wife. And y'all remember a year ago when we were quarantined? It seems like 20 years ago, but it was only a year ago. And we couldn't leave our houses. And I was literally like losing my mind. So you know what I do twice a week? I'm like, I got to get out. And I go golf. You see, we, we love to escape, but God is looking for a church to engage. He doesn't need more escapists. He needs a church engaged in the pain of this world that we step into the spheres and the hurt and the desperation and the loneliness and we bring with us the light and the love and the hope of Jesus that this world needs. Eyes on the times. The reason I'm telling you this is because we should have a sense of urgency now more than ever because the times are near. The time is drawing and I want to bring as many people to heaven with me as I can. And that's, some of you are like, yeah, that's good. You're the pastor. You should. No, no. This is all of us. And that's why I'm challenging you with it today. Second, if we're going to stay woke in a generation of sleep, we have to have our eyes on the word. Everybody say, word? Eyes on the word. Most of us have our eyes on the news more we have our eyes on the word. Most of us have our eyes on our phones more than we have our eyes on the word. And then we wonder, why am I afraid? Why am I fearful? Why am I feeling despair? I think uh, Christians have bought into the fear that this, wor this world is propagating and proliferating. And I just want to, I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a moment. Can I just tell you something? Christians, your days are already numbered. God already knows. Now, I'm not saying you live irresponsibly. You don't use caution. You don't, you know, protect yourself and do everything you're supposed to do. But, but this world is afraid. And Christians, we don't walk in a spirit of fear. We walk with power and love and a sound mind. And we need Christians to walk in faith, not fear. With hope, not despair. Why do we look like the world? I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to walk with the fear of this world. And I think the reason the world is so afraid is because they have an issue with death. You want to know why they have an issue with death? Because they don't know what's coming. Because many of them think this is it. This is all there is. And so they're trying to elongate and last as long as they possibly can. And I'm here to tell you, your life is a mist. But this is only a moment in eternity. Eternity is long. This is short. So let's maximize this moment, not with fear, but with faith. I want to maximize the short life I have. I'm already 40, y'all. I'm a man. For a, for a long time, I'm like, oh, I'm that young pastor, the young up-and-comer. No, nope, Caleb, you're 40. Your life is short. Time goes fast. And I want to make the most of what God has given me. But you want to know how I do that? Not with my eyes on the things of this world, with my eyes on the word. What did he say in verse number 30? 
Jesus said this generation will not pass away before all these things happen. This is the direct response to the disciples' question about the destruction of the temple. And he's telling them, look, the temple is going to be destroyed. It happens. And then he goes on and he teaches this. He says, look, I am coming back. And we heard last week that no man knows the day nor the hour. He said, not even I know. Only the Father who is in heaven knows. And with that in our mind, how can we not live with a sense of urgency? Heaven and earth will pass away. But what does Jesus say in verse 31? He says, but my words will never pass away. My words, I know it's hot, Michael and Michael. The AC is loud, so we, we, need, we need to turn it on, though. Because I see them dying right now. The, so, so we usually turn the AC off during the message because it's really loud, but you guys are going to be cool with the loud AC so that you're not sweating to death in here, okay? I, I got you. Your pastor is aware of your struggles, you know? So it's going to kick on here in a moment. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is the strongest expression of the divine authority by which Jesus taught. You see, he wasn't teaching or speaking as Moses or as Paul, who said that their inspiration came from the Holy Spirit, but he's teaching as one who claimed to be God. You see, this language that Jesus used Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This language would be unsuitable for a man to say. But how many you know Jesus was not just a man? He was the man God, the God man. God in the flesh who came and can empathize with your weaknesses and my weaknesses. And yet his words hold power. And that's why we walk through his words and receive his words and are teachable from his words. Why? Because his words are what? must guide our lives. Do not stand on the foundation of the words of man or your own perspectives. I may think I know, but unless it lines up with the word, may I even walk in contradiction to what I think is best. I'd rather contradict myself if I'm in line with God's word. What I mean by that is there's some things in this I don't even like. Oops, I said it. I just want to be real because, I mean, I've been influenced by this culture. And so I read this, and there's some things that I'm like, God, I don't really like that. I, I, I think that's not really the perspective that I should have. But can I tell you something? I'm going to choose his perspective over my perspective every single time. I'm going to live with my eyes on the word, not with my eyes on what this world says. Eyes on the word. But let me show you something. John 1.1. 1, 1. What does it say? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You know what that means? It means when God spoke the earth into being and created man out of the dust and breathed into him life, 
when he, he brought out the sun and the stars with simply a word. You know who that word was and who was with him from the beginning. As this text goes on, the word was Jesus. And so when I say keep your eyes on the word, I mean this. But I also mean keep your eyes on Jesus because he is the word. And it's so easy to take our eyes off of the person of Jesus and onto what we think is right or what this world is pulling us towards. But I want to tell you, don't ever take your eyes off Jesus. Don't fall asleep. Stay awake with your eyes fixed fully on him because he is the word. The word, his name is Jesus. And finally today, the keys will come back. If you're going to stay Woke in a generation to sleep, you have to have your eyes on your job. Everybody say, my job? Look at your neighbor and say, your job. Tell them, your job. Can I just do a little vision moment with you? A little vision moment. So, I don't know if you see, but we got a pretty full room today. The 9 a.m. was pretty much this full as well. And we've been seeing is in the summer Already we've been seeing like our attendance grow, like more than even in, in the fall, which is usually when church is at its biggest, this last fall, even more than in January when attendance is usually at its biggest. And so what we're sensing is we're in a growth moment. And so on September 19th, we are having the grand opening of this building, ribbon cutting, and a whole month of grand opening festivities. We're going to dedicate the building. We're going to have something special every single week for you. we got guest worship leaders coming in, guest speakers. It's going to be an amazing season. But we recognize and realize, especially watching our kids' numbers in the middle of the summer, they're the biggest they've ever been in the history of our church, is that we need to add a third service. And so on September 19th, we're launching our third service every single week. So here's what we need. Come on. Yeah, we can celebrate. A hundred and sixty-seven people serve every single month in this church. Come on, make some noise for you. But if we're going to go to three services, we need 250 team members. So that means there are 83 new team members needed. Now listen, some of you have been sitting out there thinking, they got this. They got this unlocked. They don't need me. I mean, look at all these incredible people. I got nothing. I want to tell you, we need you. God wants to use you. And often people just don't recognize there's a need. So I'm telling you right now, there's a need. We need 83 more people to jump in and serve. Go to the team brunch. We're going to have opportunities for you to, to sign up to serve over the next couple weeks. But I want to invite you to get working. To work with us. Now listen, when I was saying stay woke, stay working, and, and Jesus teaches them, he says, everyone has a job. I'm not just saying in the church, I'm also saying outside of the church. And I've been preaching that this whole morning. That our primary call is to go out with the light and the love of the gospel. But how many know that people often come in, they're drawn in. And that's why we have not had a Sunday go by that someone did not give their life to Jesus Christ in this room in the history of Project Church. We need you to serve. Why? Because we create an environment where people can come in and hear the word of God grow in the word of God. Many of you are, have been walking with God for years, maybe more recently. We're being discipled. We're growing in the word. We're growing in faith together. But there, is, there, is people, there are people that walk in here every week for the first time 
that just gave their lives to Jesus or are just coming because they're interested in God and spirituality. And that's why we need you to create an environment where people can meet Jesus and find life and freedom in him. As we state. You see this challenge by Jesus in verse 34 through 37, the end of this text. He gives this illustration of a man who's going on a journey and he appoints one to be the gatekeeper. And he tells him, he says, don't fall asleep because I'm coming back. You don't know when I'm going to come back. You need to stay awake, but you also have a job to do. So fulfill your duty. Fulfill your job. This is a reminder that we would immerse ourselves in the things of God and not the things of this world. And I know as strong as this culture is, that many of us have immersed ourselves as much or more in the things of this world. And so I'm challenging you today because if you are going to be someone who is awake and working as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to immerse yourself in the things of God. And this world is strong. This world is is grabbing for your attention and reaching for your attention. And that's why every day it's a decision to wake up and to say, no, I'm on a mission to work. I'm on a mission to work, not for the things of this world and not even for myself, but for my God who gave me breath and life and energy and talent and everything I have. I'm here for him. You know, I think that so many of us have our eyes on everyone else right now. We're worrying about what everyone else is doing. And I'm convinced that this world would be so much better if Christians would just stop worrying about everyone else and start focusing on what am I doing? I'm not going to trip on what anyone else is doing. I'm going to focus on what God is calling me to do. God has given us a job to do. The message version puts it this way. It says, you don't want him showing up unannounced with you asleep on the job. I challenge you today to stay woke, stay working. I was thinking about it. I brought a cot with me today. Y'all, we got any campers in the house? And uh, I stole the blanket from the kids' ministry upstairs, Project Kids. And I think every day we have a decision as followers of Christ we work we choose this or we choose this and Jesus challenges them he says don't fall asleep on the job I've given you a job but how many of you know this is comfortable even when it's 95 degrees in the room. Like, every week, every day, every month, you have a decision as followers of Christ. Are you going to fall asleep in your faith? Because it's comfortable? Because it's cozy? I hate getting out of bed in the morning. I know y'all do. And I'll tell you right now, it is easier to sleep as followers of Christ than it is to work. I'm just telling you, it's easier. But you know what it also is? It's lacking purpose. It's lacking adventure. 
is lacking joy, is lacking fulfillment. And I think a lot of Christians have chosen the bed and the blanket. They've chosen this culture, this current culture. And God's saying, oh, I've given you a job. I've given you work. And every day and every week, we got to choose. You see, I, I snagged these gloves. I think they're from Walmart. They got real leather. They smell pretty good. And here's, here's what I've seen. The reason a lot of Christians choose not to work, and I'm talking about outside the church and in the church, is because they look at these gloves and they think, I got nothing to offer. I got nothing to give. But let me tell you something. I could take these gloves and I could tell them, go love your neighbor. And they would do nothing. I could take them and say, hey, can you, can you help set up chairs? And they would do nothing. I could take them and say, hey, hey, go, go love on those people at your job. And they would do nothing. But when someone decides to come in and to place their hand in the gaps, you see, you know there's something in every glove. There's gaps. And the gaps were made to be filled by hands. And when you decide, you know what? God is calling me to serve in the church, outside of the church. He's calling me to work and not to sleep, you decide to take what you have and to place it in the gaps, then suddenly these gloves can go to work. But they can't work on their own. They can't do anything in and of themselves. But when you choose and you say, you know what? This is what I have. I'll bring it. I'll use it. Then suddenly the gloves can start to go to work. But some of you are out there and you're like me and you're like, but Kaylee, you don't understand. Like, I just don't have much to bring. You don't understand. Like, I, I, I've been divorced. I've hurt people around me. I've dabbled in sin for so long. I've been selfish. I, I've played games with God I, I, I've tried to use my gifts and, and I felt like there was nothing and you're like me and you got this jacked up pinky maybe in your life I mean look I can't even can't even close it but can I tell you something else about these gloves not only are there gaps for your hands to work but there's still some gaps and you know what fills that there's gaps for the grace of God to come in. And I think some of you have been so caught up in what you have, your gifts, your failures, your past, your background, that you've hesitated stepping out and being used by God. And you know he's been calling you to work. And you know he's been calling you to put on the gloves. But you just keep saying, God, I got nothing to bring. I'm not talented. I'm not gifted. I've failed. I've been through so many things. I've got tons of baggage. And God's saying, listen. All I'm looking for is someone available. 
Because if you just put your hand in the gloves, I'll fill the rest of the gaps with my grace. And let me tell you, when God's grace fills the gaps of your life, he can do things that you didn't even know were possible. He can use you in ways that you didn't even think he could use you. He can pull out gifts that you didn't even know existed. He can bring back to life gifts which you thought had died. But he can't come in with his grace if it's just an empty glove. You see, you fill the gap. And then he fills the rest of the gaps with his grace. And then he'll use you like never before. And so I'm here to call a church to a new level. We got new devils today. We need some Christians at new levels. Come on, church. We need some Christians at new levels. And so today, I want to challenge you that you would wake up, you would stay woke, and you would stay working. And for too long, I think the church has stood on the sidelines, and we've had all good reasons. And God's saying to us today, no longer will you make excuses. Because all I'm looking for is willing hands. For those that are saying, I'm here, use me, and my grace will fill the gaps in the gloves. And I'll use you exactly how you are. Messed up, jacked up baggage, all that stuff from your background, failures after failure, my grace comes in. And I can use the worst of you as much as I can use the best of you. You know God loves you on your worst day as much as he loves you on your best day. You know God can use you on your worst day just like he can use you on your best day. That's what his grace does. The grace of God that is never ending. And so today, I believe there's some people that need to choose to wake up. And there's some people that need to choose to start working. That you would start working for his grace, for his kingdom, to build a heavenly kingdom. You would engage and not escape. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? In a room this large, I know that there's some people who've been playing games with God. There's some people who've been asleep in their faith. There's been some people who've been running from a Savior that's pursued you. The Savior that leaves the 99 to go find the one. And you're that one. And you know you're that wandering sheep. And today, you've been asleep. But God has awoken you. His Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And so right now in this place, if you need to receive Jesus for the first time in your life, or you need to rededicate yourself anew and afresh, I want you to lift your hand right now. People all have their heads bowed. This is between you, me, and God. I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead. Put it up. Yes, yes, yes. Keep them up. Yes, 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 yes. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Come on, church. Give God some praise. You can put your hands down. Hands going up around the room. Everyone in this room, repeat this prayer after me. And when we say amen, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to give God a shout of praise, a clap hand of praise for all these that have taken this next step. Why? Because the Bible says that when one name is added to the book of life, the angels in heaven rejoice. So we're going to rejoice. Repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, 
I am available. Jesus, I am forgiven. Jesus, I am surrendering for the first time or rededicating myself anew and afresh. I love you, Jesus. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me new. Wake me up. Help me work. Fill the gaps with your grace. I'm bringing my hands. I'm willing to go where you want me to go, to serve where you want me to serve. I love you, Jesus, and it's in your name. Amen. Come on, get on your feet. Give God some praise in this place. How can we not rejoice? How can we not rejoice? We're going to sing, I am available, and let this be our declaration that here are my hands. Here are my gifts. Here is all that I have. Little or a lot, I'm bringing it for you to, to use. But before we sing, here's what I want you to do. If you are being baptized, I want you to go right now. We're going to get ready to celebrate on the porch. Some of you, though, you haven't been baptized. And you're like, I want to do it because I need to wake up. We got shirts, t-shirts, shorts, towels. We got you. Go right now to the tent out on the porch, and we'll hook you up, and you can be baptized today. But come on, church, let's sing. We are available to our God. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.